Well, good morning, church, and thank you so much for joining us wherever you are. And I know none of us are completely used to this uh, digital way of doing church, but God knows, and God's got this, and one day we'll get back together. I want to say to you moms, from the depths of my heart, Happy Mother's Day. On behalf of our whole church family, we, we want to say that we honor you, we esteem you, we thank God for your sacrifice and your love and your devotion. I saw that growing up with my own mom raising five kids. Certainly I saw that with my wife uh, raising our three children. I've seen that with our two daughters, Sarah and Callie, uh, as they raise their kids. And, and now the, the newest mom in our family, Michelle, uh, our youngest son, John Paul Michelle, I think we have a photo of them and Wallace Dutch Wells, about two weeks old. So that's the newest mom and her son in our, in our family. Moms, I, I just want to say again, as I say regularly at this time, there is no higher calling on the planet than motherhood. And, and, and I hope you sense God's pleasure and his smile for all that you do. Uh, I, I want to say also to you moms at Woods Edge that I, I know many of you and I see the way you are seeking to please the Lord and raise your kids to love God. I'm so proud of you and I see your devotion uh, all over the church. Also, single moms, um, no one has a bigger challenge than you've got and, and you have our deepest admiration. I, I love what uh, one person wrote about motherhood when he said, mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst, and, and certainly we do. As Phil prayed earlier, Phil Kwan, uh, we know this is a tough day for many women. It's you've had a difficult relationship with your mom, perhaps growing up or now. Perhaps some of you have lost your mom in, in the last year. Perhaps many of you would love to be a mom, and that has never happened. And, and, and women, I just want to say that even as a man, I, I hurt for you with that. Uh, many of you have lost a child either with death or a miscarriage. Uh, many of you have had your hearts broken by a wayward child. And, and though we don't all understand that, God knows God understands, God cares, and God can heal your heart because He is the Father of mercies and He's the God of all comfort. He is. So go to Him. Run to Him. I love the Mother's Day story about Kevin Durant, the NBA basketball player. A few years back, he received the MVP award as the most valuable player in the NBA. And the award was given, I think, the night before Mother's Day. And at the end of his acceptance speech, he began talking about his mom and really addressed his mom directly. This is what he said at the end. He said, I don't think you know what you did. You had my brother when you were 18 years old. Three years later, I came out. The odds were stacked against us. Single parent with two boys by the time you were 21 years old. Everybody told us we weren't supposed to be here. We went from apartment to apartment by ourselves. One of the best memories I had was when we moved into our first apartment, no bed, no furniture, and we just sat in the living room and hugged each other. We thought we had made it. 
You wake me in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up a hill, making me do push-ups, screaming at me from the sidelines of my games at eight or nine years old. We weren't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs, food on our table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. And moms, that's what we want to say today. You're the real MVP. This morning, we're going to look at two women in the Bible on Mother's Day, two sisters who are close friends of Jesus. Those sisters are Mary and Martha. And if you've got your Bibles or maybe you've got a smartphone or an iPad, turn to Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke 10, short, brief, pregnant passage. There we read in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is God's holy word, church. Now, a brief, simple, understated passage, and perhaps a passage that's a bit frustrating because I mean, after all, Martha's, Martha's got a point. Now, Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus. All three are close friends of Jesus. That becomes clear in the Gospels. And that's why Jesus feels free to stop by their house unannounced with a rather large entourage in tow. And you can imagine the setting, can't you? There's in the main room, there's Jesus along with his 12 disciples, and, and Lazarus is there. And the men are talking with Jesus, asking questions, and listening to his teaching. This is the traditional role of a rabbi with his disciples, a teacher with his followers. And then in another room, in the kitchen, there's Martha, hard at work, getting food ready for all those hungry, tired men who had been traveling. And hospitality is such a vital part of the culture in the Middle East, and she's going to great lengths and at all costs. She is a whirlwind of activity. The flower flying, her brow furled, all business, under pressure to throw this meal together. But what about Mary? Where's Mary? Is she in the kitchen with Martha helping with all of this work? No, she is not. Now, the cultural expectation of that time, especially, would be for Mary to be in the kitchen. It certainly would not be normal or even acceptable for Mary to be out with the men listening to Jesus. Also, if this was just a social situation, then people would be sitting on chairs or cushions. But 
If you considered yourself to be a disciple of a teacher, a disciple of a rabbi, then you would sit on the floor at the feet of the disciple. You were taking the position of a learner. And where did we read that Mary was sitting? Well, verse 39 said that Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. What is Mary doing but taking the role of the disciple? Now, for a woman to take the role of a disciple in that culture would be shocking. Women were not allowed to learn the scriptures. They did not go to school growing up. Some of you may remember the old movie, the old Barbara Streisand movie, Yentl, movie that I particularly enjoyed. She plays the role of a young Jewish woman in Poland in the late 1800s, and her dad is the rabbi. And she so badly wants to learn the scriptures that eventually she dresses and appears as a man so that she could go and study Torah with the rabbis. Now we can only imagine what the other men in the room are thinking with Mary there taking the position of a disciple listening to scripture being taught. Or we can only imagine what Martha is thinking. I mean, they're thinking, is Jesus really going to allow this? Now, so often, Jesus violated all the cultural norms of the day regarding women, allowing them privileges that their society did not allow them in first century Palestinian culture. Now, meanwhile, Martha is back in the kitchen slaving away. She hears the men's voices. She hears, hears the questions. She hears the animated discussion. At times, she hears laughter erupt, and she is getting more and more frustrated, can't you imagine? I mean, Mary is not in there helping her, and Jesus is allowing Mary to not be in there helping her. Now, all of us can relate at times to how frustrated we can get when uh, we're seems like we're doing all the work and other people are letting us do all the work and we get upset about that. And Martha is seething inside. She reaches her boiling point finally and she marches right into the room, eyes ablaze. And she exclaims, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then, to help me. Now, that, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? With, with just a few words, Martha is able to rebuke Jesus, criticize Mary, and tell Jesus what to do. I mean, just kind of all at once. And, and, and you can imagine all the disciples sitting around Jesus and, and seeing this, their eyes getting big. I cannot believe that Martha is talking to Jesus this way. And there's Mary over there just kind of slinking into the floor trying to be invisible with all this going on. And how does Jesus respond? Well, I'm pretty sure that he had a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye. He's completely unintimidated by Martha, and he loves her. Now, Jesus is very close to this family. Many of us, if we were in this situation, you know, we'd be stammering something about getting Martha some help, but not Jesus. You see, Jesus was never a pleaser of people. He, he did not need the approval of people because he was completely focused on the approval of his father. 
And when we are secure in the love of our Father, we don't need the approval of people. We are free from being pleasers so that we can be lovers of people. And Jesus was freed up to love Martha and to love Mary. So how does Jesus respond in verse 41? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So in this situation, Jesus is teaching Martha, teaching everybody there, only one thing is really necessary, and that's the thing that, Martha, that Mary has chosen. Now, now, I understand. Martha had a good heart. She loved Jesus, she, she was, but she was so preoccupied with preparations that she missed the presence of Jesus. She missed out on just being with him, listening to him. Now, in some ways, Martha has a point. She does need some help, and Jesus doesn't get Mary or any of the men in there helping her. But what this situation called for, with Jesus in the next room speaking at that time, at that occasion, uh, the, the point was, don't worry about food here. Martha, the main thing now is simply to sit in my presence and listen. And that's what Mary has chosen, and it's a good thing. It is the one thing necessary, and I, I will not take it away from her because nothing, Martha, is more important than simply being with me, listening to me, learning from me. And with that, our brief passage ends, leaving us to ponder what Jesus is saying to us. I love it that the Bible does not tell us what Martha's response is because that's not the point. Martha already knew this story. She doesn't need to hear about it. The point for us is not how Martha responded, but how do you and I respond to what Jesus is saying to us? God put this passage in the Bible for you and for me. How do we respond to what Jesus says? Now, here in America... We, we are activists by nature, most of us. You know, our, our mantra growing up is, is don't just sit there, do something. You know, that, that's the American way of life. More about doing than being. And perhaps right now during this uh, coronavirus crisis, maybe that is especially true because there is so much help that people need and a lot of doing to be done. And many of us who are followers of Jesus, many of us are better at doing things for Jesus than simply being with Jesus. We, we are uh, workers for Jesus more than worshipers of Jesus. Now, now, Mary chose just to be with Jesus, just to listen to him, just to sit at his feet. And Jesus declares to everyone in that room and every reader of this passage down through the centuries, he's he declares to us, Mary has chosen the good part, the better part, the best part. What about you? He is saying to you and to me this morning through his holy word to value what Mary valued, to prioritize what Mary prioritized, to give yourself permission and freedom to do what Mary did. Focus on me. Focus on loving me, worshiping me, being with me. Be more of a worshiper than a worker.
Now, of course, both <coughs> of course, both working for Jesus and worshiping Jesus are important. Both are essential, but worship is the foundation because it starts with, with, with loving Jesus and loving God and, and declaring His beauty and His glory and His grace. Now, if, Christian, you are primarily a worker for God without also being a worshiper of God, then you will grow angry and resentful because others are not working like you're working, just like Martha does here. It will, your work for God will turn sour upon you. So it has to be rooted in loving God and not just serving God. Now, church, this passage, of course, is not just for moms today. It's for every single one of us. It's for me and you. Be first a worshiper, then a worker. Focus first on loving Jesus, not serving Jesus. Get along with Jesus every day and draw close. Immerse yourself in worship and love every day. It is your privilege. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then right now receive His love and grace. Open your heart. Tell him that you need a Savior. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and he will save you. Do that right now. And if you have already done that, like so many of us, then let me urge you to receive afresh the love of Jesus for you. Embrace it. Bask in it. Revel in it. Receive it afresh. Moreover, not only is this uh, the, the thing pleasing to God. It is the thing you most need for your spiritual and emotional health. As Jesus taught us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We need that, don't we? I, I'm, I'm weary and heavy laden every day. So every day I come to Jesus and I receive his rest. If we don't first fill up with Jesus, then we'll have nothing left to offer others. We will dry up, wither up. It's the classic line of Mother Teresa. has to be one of my very favorite quotes ever. When she said, Jesus is the deep well, and every day I drop my bucket into the well. It's, it's like, you know, you get on the airplane, they teach you. If you're there, there with a, a child, it says, be sure and, and put your oxygen mask on first, then help you with your child, because every instinct of a mother on that plane would be to help her child first, but, but if we don't first healthy enough in order to help our child. And, and it's something like that in, the, in all of life. We need to fill up first with God's love so that we can spread that love out to others, and it doesn't run dry. One mother of two young kids wrote this at a time of frustration. She said, all I could do was cry out, God help me, and she wearily picked up her Bible. Within moments, she wrote, a verse almost leaped off the page at me. Why do you honor your sons more than me? God asked a parent in 1 Samuel 2.29. It was as if God was asking me the very same question. And as I sat there that afternoon, I almost dismissed Eli's story as not applicable to my life. After all, my four-year-old does not blaspheme God. My, my two-year-old is hardly sexually promiscuous. And the dirtiest thing my baby does is fill his diapers. 
Though the original question has a historical context, the thought it conveys is timeless. Why do you give all your best to your children and give me second place? There I was, desperately needing a break from serving my children when God took the opportunity to tell me how much I needed to be with Him. He wants my relationship with Him to supersede every other relationship in my life, including my children. This is a fine line because mothering our children well is a way we honor God. Taking care of our children, even going beyond the call of duty for them, is not the issue, though. The heart of the matter is that nobody, not even our kids, should have a higher place in our hearts than God has, lest they become our idols. She continues, she says, it seems almost ludicrous to refer to them that way, yet that is what they become when we honor them more than we honor God. We cannot be fooled into thinking that all the great things we do as moms are more important than being intimate with God. The stakes are too high, for we risk our families becoming like Eli's if we put our children before God. God must have the highest place of honor in our hearts. And she concluded, it took that day of absolute frustration and exhaustion for me to be reminded of this. And since that hallmark day, I've begun asking God this question every morning, Lord, how can I put you first? Now, church, I speak to all of us, and, and even to those who are mothers of preschoolers, which, which I, I consider the hardest job around. Your, your time with God may look different if you're the mother of preschoolers, and, and you may have to grab snatches where you can but let's not kid ourselves if we have more time for Facebook or Instagram or Netflix and if we have no time to meet with God, then we're kidding ourselves about putting God first. Put your oxygen mask on so you can love the people around you. Husbands, let me just encourage you that one huge way for you to love your wives is to give her a break from the kids so that she can Spend time with the Lord. Church, God's word for all of us today, take unhurried time with God and draw close. God has put in your heart this longing to know him, this longing to love him and draw close to him. Take this unhurried time. Give yourself freedom and permission to get along with God. It's Oswald Chambers who said it is impossible for a believer no matter what his experience, to keep right with God, if he will not take the trouble to spend time with God. Spend plenty of time with God. Let other things go, but don't neglect him. Or A.W. Tozier, in my, in my creature impatience, I am often caused to wish there were some way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are vain. No shortcut exists. God has not bowed to our nervous haste. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The person who would know God must give time to him. Now, for sure, the most important thing in your life is not to have a daily quiet time with God. The most important thing is to love God. But if we want to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, then it is essential that we get along with God and draw close and receive his love for us. Now, by time with God, this is what I mean. I mean that we pray, we read our Bible, we listen to God, be still, listen to him, that we sing to him, that we 
uh, confess any sin to him, that we connect with him, that we let him love us, we love him back. We immerse ourselves in our love and worship for him. This is not religious duty. This is love affair. There are no rules or formulas of exactly what to do. The essence of it is simply to connect with God, to seek his face and to love him. Now, there are no formulas, no rules, but, but I have a few suggestions. Uh, when should you do this? Well, for most of us, it needs to be the morning, probably first thing. But whenever works for you. Where do you do this? Wherever you best connect with God. Maybe it's a living room chair. Maybe it's walking in the neighborhood. Maybe it's your back porch. Maybe it's while you're driving your car or on the commuter bus. Someplace where you can be alone and uninterrupted with God. What do you do in that time? You read God's Word, or should I say, you pray God's Word. You sing, you listen, you confess, you cry out, you give thanks, you intercede. How long should you meet with God? No rules. Ten minutes when you are fully present with God is better than three hours of religious duty. But Wood's Edge, I've got a challenge for you. Set aside at least 30 minutes a day. Even better, set aside an hour. I would just love it if I would see every person at Wood's Edge spend at least an hour every day drawing close to the Lord, falling in love with the Lord. Some of you, that might seem, that's crazy, Jeff. You don't have a clue what real life is like. But, but c- could you get up earlier? You could if you went to sleep earlier. C- could you use your lunch break at work? What about your commute downtown and back? Could you skip the 10 o'clock news or the daily newspaper or Facebook? Your father wants to be with you. Many of you know here at Woods Edge that last fall I published a book, Unhurried Time with God. And it, it, the whole book is a short book. The whole short book is about this topic. And I know we're not meeting these days, but if you want to get one, there'll be some in the foyer tomorrow that you could purchase between 10 and 12 a.m. Now, let me close with this story that Philip Yancey tells, again, about Mother Teresa. Yancey writes, I have visited Calcutta, India, a place of poverty, death, and irremediable human problems. There the nuns trained by Mother Teresa serve the poorest, most miserable people on the planet, half-dead bodies picked up from the streets of Calcutta. The world stands in awe of the sisters' dedication and the results of their ministry. But something about these nuns impresses me even more, their serenity. If I tackle such a dawning project, I would likely be scurrying about, faxing press releases to donors, begging for more resources, gulping tranquilizers, grasping at ways to cope with my mounting desperation. Not these nuns. Their serenity traces back to what takes place before their day's work begins. At 4 o'clock in the morning, Long before the sun, the sisters rise, awakened by a bell and the call, let us bless the Lord. They reply, thanks be to God. Dressed in spotless white saris, they file into the chapel where they sit on the floor, Indian style, and pray and sing together. On the wall of the plain chapel hangs a crucifix crucifix with the words, I thirst. Before meeting their first client, they immerse themselves in worship and in the love of God. 
I sense no panic in the sisters who run the home for the dying and destitute in Calcutta. I say concern and compassion, yes, but no obsession over what did not get done. In fact, early on in their work, Mother Teresa instituted a rule that her sisters take Thursdays off for prayer and rest. The work will always be here, but if we do not rest and pray, then we will not have the presence to do our work. These sisters are not working to complete a caseload for a social service agency. They are working for God. They begin their day with Him. They end their day with Him. Back in the chapel for night prayers. And everything in between they present as their offering of worship to God. God alone determines their worth and measures their success. Church, we may not be nuns in a special house of ministry, but this principle applies to every single one of us. Jesus is the deep well. And every day, I drop my bucket into the well. Pray with me, please. First of all, if, if you have never received this beautiful Savior who frees you from your sin and guilt and shame, right now, receive Him as your Savior. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me, and he will do it. He will do it. And then, Lord God, for all of us who have done that, may we receive afresh your love and your grace, and may we love you back, and may we rest in you and soak in your love every day because you're the deep well. Lord God, I pray especially for the moms that you would bless them, that you would set them free from any unrealistic lies of the enemy. they got to be perfect. Would you set moms free from any guilt, or shame, or fear, Lord, so that we would rest in you. Lord, we thank you that you love us perfectly. You'll never love us anymore, and you'll never love us any less, because you're the perfect God. And we worship you and bless you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.